Once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also Mike. In a moment here as we have an Oscar race checkpoint chock full of news and information. Does it matter? Does any of this matter? We <laughs> hope so. We're going to try to, once again, give you a reprieve from reality and be your uh, oasis in the desert of life that's going on in this country right now. Uh, Michael, hopefully you have a little more positivity than I have to open up this episode. I don't know if I do. I... <laughs> I'm like numb right now. It's been a very busy week in my you world. You have been very busy, yeah. I've been working with little kids every single night, uh, coaching clinics. That's why you guys didn't get a uh, episode out earlier in the week. So I've been kind of playing catch up to mm-hmm. get this episode ready uh, for a Friday recording here. Uh, we'll be back, I hope, to a usual schedule next week and give you guys two. But you just get this one big Oscar race checkpoint. It turned out to be a pretty big one, Michael. And, yeah, I think that's what we're doing. We're distracting ourselves from all the horrors of reality (laughs) in the Supreme Court. And you're distracting. You you, you talked to me about moving to Canada. (laughs) One uh, One of my good, good friends is actually dating Danny DeVito's daughter. And, uh... Danny DeVito, when the Roe when the Roe decision came down from the Supreme mm-hmm. Court, he had a tweet that just said "Supreme Court, my ass," and mm. I went to my friend with that screenshot of that tweet, and I was like, "I've never been more proud to know somebody who's almost a DeVito family member." <laughs> <laughs> so that's where my mental state is at. But yes, we will. We do have a lot of news and information having to do with the movie world, and as always, we will try to uh, be a distraction from reality, like we keep saying here. We have stuff on Thor Love and Thunder, which we do plan on reviewing next week. I guess we can start there amongst all the other news that we have. We have news about the Academy. We have news about uh, the Black Phone we're going to review on this. Mike's going to wrap up his Tribeca review stuff. So Mm -hmm. it is a chock full episode. But let's start with what will be the biggest blockbuster of next week, Thor Love and Thunder. You and I got to film Twitter at, like, different points because Mm -hmm. the early, early stuff from Thor Love and Thunder was not great. But then it seemed to be all positive, right? So, yeah, I, I plugged in uh, later the e- in the evening, and everything seemed to be rosy. Like, uh, the people in our circles were giving it rave reviews, saying it's the one of the best Thors, if not the best Thor, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it kicks in kind of mid-movie. Maybe it doesn't start off all that well, but uh, for the most part, a lot of positive reviews. But I guess you were following it more closely, Er. And you you thought uh, no because of people you trust. So I, I took the two that jumped out at me right away, and it was kind of the first people that I saw on Twitter as soon as the uh, the first screening got out. One was Rob Hunter at Fake Rob Hunter. He's a uh, critic and uh, associate editor of Reject Nation and One Perfect Shot. He's been a contributor to Slash Film, but his take was Love and Thunder feels in some ways like the Lethal Weapon Four of the Thor franchise. <laughs> Make of that what you will. And maybe the worst end slash post credit scene in the whole MCU question oh, mark. No. Lethal Weapon Four is not a good comparison for a movie to have. No. Can you remember anything from Le- Lethal Weapon Four at all? I remember they injected Chris Rock into it 
to date and marry Danny Glover's uh, daughter. And that was like the, one of the big conflicts. I actually probably remember too much about Lethal Weapon 4 now that I think about it. <laughs> I can't remember a single thing, a single flippant thing. My brain just eliminates all the memories of the movies that suck forever, and I don't have to deal with them. So it's a good thing. It's like Inside Out. I mean, Inside mm-hmm. Out is true. Pixar is is right on. Anyway, Michael, right. Vince Mancini. Yeah, Vince Mancini, senior film critic, works for Uproxx. He's done work for GQ. He's done stuff for The Ringer. Uh, he also said, in response to Rob Hunter's take here, jokes definitely didn't land, but also, what the F was that plot? And also, who was it for? These wow. are not... Yeah, like, not stuff that you would expect from a Marvel movie, not stuff you would expect from a, a uh, Taika Waititi film. And, again, it's names that I... Trust. I mean, I follow. We follow Mike. Mike and Oscar's account follows Ralph Hunter. We follow Vince Mancini. These are guys that I've looked to and have read up on and t- taken their takes and think they're both good critics and good at what they do and good writers. So that was kind of the early tenor of what was coming out, and I was surprised that there were such established names in this space that were that melancholy on Thor: Love and Thunder. It is surprising because, like I said, the the parade started right after that, mm-hmm. but. Looking at Thor: Love and Thunder, I think the marketing has been really fun. Has been Agreed. ingenious. It's been it's been funny. Like we've saw, we've gotten a lot of laughs out of the trailers. So that's been typical Taika. And I've been looking forward to this movie for quite a while. I picked the over on whatever over under you put in that box office. I think office it was one point four billion. Is what I, said I didn't worldwide. care. I yeah. picked. I'm, I'm sure with I you. I, I think over. we both did. Yeah. And. It looks like uh, a huge hit coming out, but you got to look at Taika Waititi's recent resume, and it's been huge because he's been starring in a ton of things, from Free Guy to A Voice in Lightyear to you know his uh, new HBO Max series, the uh, the the pirate show there that I stopped watching after our one ship episode. Is chaos or our, our brand? Was, our flag no. is. You know what I'm doing is I'm confusing the Taika Waititi pirate show with the Sandra Bullock passion project movie that she did a couple. Our brand yeah. is chaos or something. Our brand <laughs> is crisis. No, right, our flag means it. death. Our flag our, means our death. Our flag is chaos. Yeah. Okay. Our, good. Our flag <laughs> means crisis. Yes. Mm-hmm. We've got the title correct. Where's now we can that crossover picture, Hollywood? <laughs> You cowards. But, but listen, Taika might be overworked is my point. He might be overworked just like we are. He might be a little loopy. Is he on his A game for this film that could perhaps be his most successful? That's my caveat, I would say, to to the marketing. And that's been my – I've been a little bit reticent to, to think that this is going to be maybe the best Thor in my own brain. Right. Uh, are you totally off the hype train on Thor Love and Thunder? Are you bracing for impact now? I have two minds. My first mind is a Taika Watiti disciple mind, and it's like he could, you know, it could be Natalie Portman literally throwing up for an hour and a half, and I'd still give it the benefit of the doubt because it's <laughs> Taika Watiti. The cynical part of my brain is... We're gonna. We have a story coming up in this episode that kind of having to do with Bob Chappick and his extension with Disney. Does Disney actually care about anything other than money? And I think you can kind of make the case that no revenue obviously rules the house of mouse there. So that's the cynical part of it. Do you like? Do am I off of Thor? No, not at all because I have faith in Taika Waititi. Also, does it matter because as long as it makes money, Disney's going to keep pumping these things out. I've not been a fan of the new Obi Wan show. 
I've been, you know, look, we like Doctor Strange to an extent. I think mm-hmm. we were lukewarm on Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. I it could but we go need a point. Way. I mean, we need a point, and and a story we didn't include in this is there's all kinds of leaks now because of Howard Stern and what he said on his show about being involved in the Doctor Doom movie, which was a quote from him. Uh, whether that means the Fantastic Four movie is a go, whether that means they've casted him. I hope it doesn't mean Howard Stern's going to play Victor Von Doom, but okay, we'll leave that for news as it comes out. But we need an overarching point to what's going on in the MCU, which was my biggest complaint coming out of uh, Method of Madness. This is going to be one of these episodes, guys, (laughs) where we both get things half right with titles and official names. So Multiverse of Madness uh, was the name of the Doctor Strange movie there. My biggest complaint was we need an over art. Where are we going with the MCU right now? We need a point. Bigger. Uh, We're going that'll... bigger. That's all right. we know. Right. But we don't know against two. So I, I think we need to figure that out at some point soon. People I trust like Ms. Marvel. I just haven't had the time to watch that yet. I mm-hmm. will. Uh, we were lukewarm on Lightyear, but we were. I was very high on Turning Red from Pixar. So sure. it's yep. still Disney. It's still Disney. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully... Hopefully it's our favorite Marvel movie ever, and we just, you know, have to look at your favorite critics with maybe a side eye, if, <laughs> if that's how it goes. But, okay, we got some Academy stories. We got we got a Golden Globe story. That's a huge one. Yeah. And uh, let's start out with the 397 new potential Academy members that have been invited to join, and now all they have to do is accept, Michael. Yeah, so this is the the Academy's push, as they do every year. They're trying to get nearly 400 new names, including big headline names in this invitee class, like recent Oscar winners Billie Eilish and her brother Phineas O'Connell, as well as the likes of How the Hell Aren't They Already Part of the Academy, legendary film critic Leonard Maltin, what the hell took so long to invite him in, but all right, as always, what we care about most here at MMO uh, with the Academy widening their classes and getting a whole new brand, a whole new class of invitees in are the equality numbers. So here's the breakdown of stats as told by the Hollywood reporter. 44% of this invitee class, which is about 175 invitees, are women. 37%, about 147 invitees, are non-white. Half of the invi- invitees are non-American. 54 different countries are represented. And if every invitee, if each of the 397 accepts membership, the Academy overall would look like this. They would have 34% of their membership be female, 19% be non-white, and 23% non-American, which, you know, isn't great, <laughs> but I guess the Academy gun of the Academy still. Look, we've been making a lot about the progress, mm-hmm. and it's a bit sobering to get these final numbers because it is still a vast majority. Not a vast majority. It's a majority of white yeah. guys still. Super majority, yeah. White American, American white guys. guys, yeah. American white guys. So we can't forget there's still no equality here. But, yes, they have made some progress. Sure. Uh, like, good job, what the hell took you so long, which has basically become one of the new MMO slogans anyway when it comes to all things in the Hollywood industry. <laughs> What the hell took you so long? And keep going and give us more. Uh, the shorts, actually, the shorts categories have the most invitees on the list this year, followed by the documentary feature branch. And then the acting branch, the acting branch is the lone branch that has invited each of more women than men, more non-whites than whites, and more non-Americans than Americans this year. 
All right. Well, that's good. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's mention some more names. Anya Taylor-Joy, Renata Reinsfeld, Troy Kotzer, Gabby Hoffman, Robert DeJesus, Ariana DeBose, Jesse Buckley, Katrina Balfe, Reed Burney, and Cody Smith-McPhee, amongst those actor names. We have writer-directors Ryosuke Hamaguchi, uh, Mary Lambert, Pet, Pet Cemeteries, Mary Lambert, Michael. Nice. Ronaldo Marcus Green and Dune writer John Spates. We have costumer Paul Tazewell. A lot of MMO favorites uh, listed amongst these names. And the Academy tries to get the best in the business you know, into their membership year after year. I do applaud them for that. Yeah. It is cool to see. And all of those names I just mentioned and many more, all Academy members now. What, why do you have to be invited if you've won an Oscar? <laughs> Shouldn't that be automatic entry if you want it, and it's up to you to decline being a member? Maybe, but maybe uh, certain people will slap other certain people uh, yeah, on an Oscar all right. stage. Yeah, he really <laughs> put a fucking wrench into everything <laughs> having to do with that, didn't he? You're right. Maybe. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe the, the horrible people win the Oscars, and you yeah. don't want them in your band of... You're probably right. Anyway, probably the, right. the HFPA, they really, really want to be on TV this year, Michael. Just don't ask them for any changes, right? Right, yeah. Don't don't ask them for evidence that they've actually uh, mea culpa at all. So kudos to Matt Donnelly of Variety for having what might be the most sarcastically backhanded opening paragraph ever, which successfully takes down each of the film industry, the HFPA, and the dorks like us who get way too invested in these things all at once. Yeah, quote, a bonfire of vanities is blazing around the Hollywood Foreign Press Association as the mid-year mark approaches and discussions intensify over the fate of the 2023 Golden Globe Awards. Will the first big stop of awards season make a triumphant return in January or will NBC refuse to air the show and ice out millions of viewers looking to see tipsy celebrities (laughs) accept their prizes? I wonder how Matt feels about the Golden Globes as an institution. All right, so that made me, you want to see your precious Hollywood A-listers get drunk and take their golden statues. That's funny. That was good. That got me a good chuckle. So, all right, essentially the article by Mr. Donnell here goes on to explain that the HFPA has been meeting in recent weeks with studio power players uh, and trying to do this apology tour, trying to show how much they've changed their ways in the past year and a half or so since this controversy came down the pipeline, specifically since being under the new leadership of President Helen Hone, uh, who we reported was voted into the position last September. Now, okay, the obvious question, is anyone in Hollywood buying this story, this narrative of a reformed HFPA? Some people, as Matt Donnelly explains, but not as many as would be enough for NBC to have come out and announced that they're definitely bringing the show back to air this year. And in fact, the HFPA's apology tour seems to have created a schism amongst the biggest publicists in the industry. There is two sides to the power playing publicists who have kind of taken up the mantle of whether or not they think the HFPA should be allowed to present the Golden Globes on NBC. There are those who seem to think the Globe should reap what they've sowed and, you know, bad actors should suffer bad consequences for their bad actions and they should not be on TV. And then there are those who are trying to play peacemaker between the HFPA and the studios with the idea that losing the Globes would mean losing another platform that puts non-superhero films at the forefront to be celebrated and presented by the consumer consciousness out there. That's how the industry views the HFPA currently. 
what does NBC think about the HFPA, which would be the next logical question. How close is NBC, if at all, to getting this show back on broadcast airwaves, Michael? And again, from Donnelly, we have sources told Variety that NBC has ordered the HFPA to shore up support from the studios and TV networks and guarantee that the red carpet will be filled, uh, will be filled with A-list names. In these meetings, the HFPA has argued that a return to a regular Golden Globes award cycle with the ceremony airing live on NBC in early January is good for the industry. They note that the exposure these films and shows receive on the popular telecast boosts box office returns and viewership. Okay, so NBC wants the show back only if A-listers show up to the red carpet and publicists are saying, well, the A-listers are only going to show up if NBC comes out months in advance and says that the show's definitely back on. So you got yourself a bit of a chicken and an egg situation here. Now, the article f does this great job of walking this tightrope between NBC wanting the show back on the air, but it has to, it wants support from the industry that the HFPA has changed enough, and then also highlighting whether or not the HFPA has actually changed enough, and there are changes the HFPA has undertaken in the article they mentioned working alongside the NAACP, they've met mm -hmm. with corporate diversity executives, other things of that nature, which is objectively good in terms of broadening their equality and kind of saying, hey, we screwed up by not ever having a black member here or, or part of our 93-person board <laughs> are bad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those screams of pain have been coming from MMO over this for the last 18 months. The other side of that is that, you know, actions kind of speak louder than words, and in the... 18 months since this controversy has been in the spotlight, the HFPA has only enrolled 21 new members, mm -hmm. and they've kept a majority, if not all, of the people who comprise that voting body before this controversy started. So what exactly is going on? Has the HFPA changed? Have they done enough to actually say, are they doing just lip service, or are they actually taking this to heart and realizing how badly they've screwed up? And then there's the NBC side of it. Is NBC going to go through with paying them the six, reported $60 million licensing fee to air the program, to air the Golden Globes back on their airwaves? And should they? And do they want to? And is there enough industry support for them to do so? Billion questions. We still have no idea what's going on with the Golden Globes. Well, kudos to Matt Donnelly. Kudos yes. to Ann Thompson, who wrote a story yes. uh, a little bit after Varieties came out and... I think that one was a bit more <laughs> level, I would say. Ann does a, does a wonderful <laughs> job. I read that early this morning. And it seems to me like it is a true dilemma. And it seems to me like NBC is gauging, and this is kind of floating out, uh, you know, a, a survey in a way. Do you to... have a frustration with NBC for this, though, Mike? Like, shouldn't in, and doesn't it seem like NBC is saying, well, look, you guys tell us, do you want it or not? Shouldn't NBC be a little more proactive in being like, you have or have not changed enough, and here's why? Yeah. I mean, let's have leadership be decisive. Right. And, and I think the, the obvious answer is, uh, no, they have not changed enough. I and would agree. I think that's, uh, I think that's obvious from, from, from a numbers standpoint. I mean, they, they probably should have doubled the membership. <laughs> At least. <laughs> 21 Look, we, new people. We, we talked about the issues that the HFPA is facing and the issues that print journalism has faced for a long time. And the fact of the matter is you have these 90-something people who have careers that have 
pittered out in, in many ways, many of them, and they've relied upon all of these kickbacks and all of these, you know, these fake positions, whatever, in the HFPA mm-hmm. for their livelihoods and, and certainly the status for their livelihoods because there's, they are legitimately underpaid. Now, two wrongs don't make a right ever, and in this case, they've certainly abused their positions, and the fact that they've hoarded these measly, you know, takeaways and, and mm. perks is, is even more uh, dismaying, especially from our perspective as as people, you know, trying to, like, nudge their way in to, <laughs> to any – credibility so like it certainly makes me feel lousy and the fact that they've done this while just being a bunch of bigots is that's the inexcusable part if there ever was one the fact that they've taken people to court and the fact that they've just you know you know lance armstrong lied and Mm -hmm. ruined tried to ruin other people who have tried to make their name in it i no i mean if you can forgive this so quickly after a year of scandal at, at nbc I don't know. I, I just think you should demand a lot more change and you should de- demand certainly new leadership involved there. The peop- There should be, you know, metaphorical heads on spikes here. They, there should be people booted out of that, uh, of that uh, system. And there should be certainly uh, new rules to, to make sure that this doesn't come into uh, effect ever again and uh, uh, as we've seen with the all the other the academy and the british academy you have to expand the membership you mm-hmm. have to yeah i mean there's been drips and drabs about stuff coming out about the golden globes and the hfpa and our stance continually here has been well we're not going to comment on it because we want to see active change we want to see active change i understand that for the Golden Globes to actually go forward, they do need like a months long lead up. NBC does have to make the announcement. Like, they, I don't think they can make right. it in like November or October. They probably have to make it within the next month or two if that's actually going to happen sense. and be on their airwaves. So, I understand that kind of panic, but at the same time, it just feels like, well, you know, we might miss out on our money. Doesn't I mean haven't we suffered enough? It's only we've been off the TV for a year. Okay. And NBC's dealing with a lemon. You know they yeah. paid they paid good money for the product and they're not getting it. Do they have a deal that covers covers themselves? I don't know. I think well, there's uh, rumors they may want to renegotiate anyway because right. of the declining ratings prior to this scandal going on. I mean, and if the Golden Globes come back, they're not going to break. It's not going to be the ratings powerhouse it was even when it started its decline before two years. Look, ago. I th- I think ratings are going to go up. Is, is my opinion? Do you? Because okay. I think movie going has gone up, and I think when movie going goes up, especially in this demographic. I think the the award shows, the live award shows of most of the people who still have cable, I think they will tune in in, in higher numbers. So I, I think the the ratings sh- should conceivably grow go up, which is probably why they're floating these stories out there. I don't think, I mean, I, I think there's it's pretty obvious that they're just trying to kind of gauge everybody's reactions. Mm. Is there a compromise where they add another forty members and this is a negotiating ploy where? The fact that these things are being brought brought to light. The fact that they're talking to journalists. I'm sure the Ann Thompsons of our industry have been poking around and trying to figure this story out for months. It seems like now they're talking to the journalists. So the journalists put out the stories when the stories are given to them. And and it's all the timing of it makes sense Mm. in the fact that you now have them having to come to a decision in in a timeline like you just said in a month or two from now. So 
I guess it's it's going to depend on public opinion. It's going to depend on film Twitter as a as a piece of that, and mm. it's certainly going to depend on what the industry says. What is the overall uh, view of that uh, of the HFPA in the eyes of these publicists who, like you say, they're going to pl- apply um, or they're going to supply supply the uh, the stars to the red carpet. So without the stars, that's it's a bad night for the Golden Globes. Yeah, that whole story makes me feel icky still. Mm-hmm. It really does. I don't. I don't know that there's a. There's nothing I read that made me feel like, oh, okay. Well, at least they're actually trying. It just sounds like. They sound like a petulant child to me. Look, they're I've so- been in timeout for long enough. Can I come out now? They're sorry that they got caught more than right. they're sorry. Maybe <laughs> I, we're look- sorry you got so offended by what we do. Oh my god! You know that's. I kind hope. Of how- I hope that's not the extent yeah. of it. But if the same people are in power, then that's a major problem. And I know that the same exact people are in power, but if all the same people are still in the HFPA, mm-hmm. and it, doesn't that seem a little silly? Yes, I would say. I mean, they, look, they've gone through the – I don't remember if they replaced their entire board or uh, they did. They added, I think, members to their board, but they kept the people I, – this is off the top of my head. I could be completely wrong, but I think it was they added a couple people to the board, but they kept the board that it was. That makes no sense to me if that's what's how the equ- What's the equivalent of, of the tourist for 2022, <laughs> the 2022 film year, Michael? Do we still have to figure that out? It might be. Thor, Love and Thunder. <laughs> I hope it is not. I hope it is not. Michael, speaking of Disney, though, yeah. Bob Chapek, the CEO, Bob Chapek's contract has been extended by the board. Okay. Why? Look, I think my take is a simple one, and it's also a cynical one. He has raised the prices uh, mm-hmm. at all these theme parks right before the demand was going to skyrocket. Hopefully COVID is kind of moving on, even though that's not a not a. You know, I spoke to my doctor this week and he said in the medical profession right now, they're assuming that the reported cases are a 30, 30 fold underreported because everyone's doing home tests and not reporting to their doctors that they're positive. Oh, my God. So that's fun. Anyway, that is fun. But look, they're going to make a ton of money. They're going to make a ton of money because a lot of people want to go back to these theme parks mm-hmm. and they want to go back to them now. And people like uh, Mr. Bellany at The Ringer and the Towns podcast just did a whole huge interview on how much Disney's overcharging. And nobody cares. Nobody cares. They're all happily paying it for all these perks. And, and I hope they have a good time on vacation. But that, <laughs> coupled with the huge success that is Disney+, Plus. It's kind of omitting a lot of sins, or it's it's glossing mm-hmm. over a lot of sins. And I'm not going out on a limb when I say that the Disney board is probably thil- thrilled with all these profits yep. and and the new valuations and how that's going to outweigh all of the gaffes and all the of the political cowardice. Yeah. So that's you and I are aligned in this. It was a unanimous decision by the Disney board to extend Bob Chapek. Business has been booming. They have been making a lot of money. They've survived, obviously, if not quite outright thrived during this pandemic. I just think that this kind of needs to put to bed the idea that Disney as a whole, as a board, cares about anything other than the bottom line and revenue and profit. Because here's a quick rundown of Bob Chapek's run as CEO in terms of social interactions and company morale. Mm. Uh, He had a falling out with former beloved CEO Bob Iger. Mm-hmm. He stayed silent on Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill, despite numerous Disney employees walking out and staging daily protests. 
He only offered public sentiments of regret in, hand, in his handling of the Don't Say Gay bill after the bill had been signed into law by Florida governor and part-time on-scent Trump pl- fluffer Rob DeSantis. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, reportedly, out of the blue, he fired Disney TV programming head and possible CEO-in-waiting Peter Rice, which led to declining company morale, which was a big story a couple weeks ago by all the trades. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are all the negatives that he's done in quite a short time, by the way, as Disney CEO. And Peter Rice was like the rival who could maybe get voted in instead of him, right. too. Right. Like, he was he was the, the guy. guy. He was the guy that everyone assumed if Chapik was going to be let go or something was going to happen with the board, Peter Rice was going to be the, the person voted in as as the new CEO to replace him. And, and the undercurrent, though it was never actually expressly said in any trade I read, the undercurrent was that, or at least sources, I guess, reported it in one, in one trade story that I read, but the idea was that Chapik was threatened by the existence of Peter Rice sitting on the sitting, you know, at the the CEO table there or the company table or the executive table, and he wanted him out. And Rice was, you know, behind the Disney Plus, correct? Mm-hmm. So that would so, make sense. Disney Plus is booming. Those are the negatives, right? That's all the negatives that's been going on during Bob Chapik's run as CEO. What's the counterbalance? What's the other side of the the weight? The 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 comparison here. Well, the positive has been money. And a lot of it that has been made by Disney, and that's what rules the day, clearly. I mean, the board unanimously voted this guy with this track record in this short amount of time to get an extension as head of the everything House of Mouse. It's almost like they don't even look at the person. They just look at the bottom line. They, yeah. look at the, they bring their calculators to the meetings, mm-hmm. and they have headphones in. Mm-hmm. No notes. Country's working beautifully. Let's keep going. Michael, we're going to move on to some quicker reactions to a bunch of stories, hodgepodge, if you will. Let's start with the box office. So Elvis did win the box office last weekend, but when we were talking about it in its opening, its Thursday preview opening, and its Friday box office numbers, it was on pace to maybe do $50 million domestically as an opener. It did well short of that. It ended up opening at $31 million domestic last weekend, add in... Uh, another $20 million overseas. It ended up doing 51.1 worldwide for last weekend, its opening weekend. It did edge out Maverick domestically. Maverick crosses the $1 billion worldwide mark last weekend as well. It edged out Dominion, which fell to third domestically, but also crossed the $750 million worldwide mark for Dominion, Jurassic Park, Chris Pratt fighting dinosaurs. Right, uh... What is Elvis's budget? Is it eighty-five million, like we read last week, or is it two hundred million, like you read a couple weeks before that when we did our over/unders episode? I hope it's two hundred million. I don't know what it is. I I just know that whatever it, whatever it is, it wasn't enough for Baz Luhrmann. I'm sure he exceeded it <laughs> <laughs> because he put so much into that movie. Look at I think. The movie is held very well. Eric Weber at Midnight Movie Talk on YouTube there has been ta- praising it for for holding on weekdays. So that is a good sign for El- Elvis heading into its second weekend. It's done $13 million on the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday uh, after its opening. And we've seen you know this demographic get to movies a bit later. Top Gun, Maverick, the older mm-hmm. audience kept coming, kept coming, kept coming, and they all eventually saw Top Gun Maverick. And they're probably all going to, you know, rewatch Top Gun Maverick now because 
the longer theatrical windows seem to suit the older audience and the older audience is a bit more patient so if you if they know that it's going to be in theaters for the duration of a summer or or for a longer window they will make make their way out and to, and do you know and and enjoy the cinematic event in the movie theater if mm. the if one is worth their time and it and it is in this instance elvis is if you're an elvis fan you got to go see this movie don't God you? I mean, damn, I would has say Austin Butler grown on me too. Even if you're not an Elvis fan and you're just a late night junkie fan, I've been consuming everything, every interview he's done, and I've just become obsessed with him. And because of that, the movie's grown on me. Well, he's a real talent. That's the thing, and yeah, and that's why the, I, we covered the GQ story. Or I'm sorry, in my solo episode, I covered the GQ story after Can. because I read that and I'm like, oh my god, this guy's like a real actor. He's yep. not just some, you know, he's not some just some child you know, star kind of kid who's, you know, gets his chance to see what he can do with his own movie. No, this is like a guy that Denzel Washington can't stop praising yep. for, for all, every, all his hard work in the theater, for Christ's sake. So Austin Butler, you know, just really paying off what's been a long career for him already. And, yeah, it, it's hopefully an Oscars-level or an Oscars-nominated performance, performance. We think it's an Oscars-level one. So yeah. we're optimistic uh, in this sense, we're optimistic because the movie's good and it's fun. We're optimistic because I think hits are forcing studios now with the box office to embrace much longer windows again. And this is this is because of strong word of mouth. This is because the older audience is getting back into the theater. And this is because many people are, are walking away satisfied customers. And once you walk away a satisfied customer from Top Gun Maverick, maybe you're looking at those posters in the movie theater and you're saying, hey, what's the next fun movie I can go out and yeah. come see? Because you know what, darn it, I love going to movies. I remember that I love going to movies, and it's much better than being at home. And I think uh, I think Elvis and uh, Top Gun have done that for some people. I, I hope everything you say is right. I think it's going to be a cool indicator to see and keep track of which we obviously will what happens this weekend the long weekend july 4th falling on a monday people having kind of a three-day weekend if not a four or five day weekend already built in maybe it can bounce back maybe it doesn't lose uh that you know maybe it's fortunate enough to follow top gun maverick steps and lose only you know 30 percent of its audience from weekend one to weekend two if not gain an audience who knows so definitely something worth keeping an eye on and if it does that if it does remain strong with the uh the older audience and the older audience does come to it a little later and keep the consistent box office rolling in domestically then it's only going to help austin butler's chances and the film's chances overall when it is come oscar time so look it only took, what are we, 35 minutes or so into this episode, but there's some positivity, some optimism from Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Eventually, <laughs> we shall put the thumb up. Uh, all right, Mike, do you have any thoughts on the viral marketing that Barbie has had thus far? Well, whoever's leaking these set photos or whoever is you know, behind the fact that, uh, that they're allowing these photos to be taken on the production set... It's genius because yeah, it every single one of these things have gone has gone viral. Uh, they've been memed. They've been celebrated. I mean, this movie Barbie is going to be huge. I wouldn't be surprised to see Oppenheimer, the Christopher Nolan film, move off of that shared July twenty first date wow. to allow Barbie more room. Especially, because, aren't they the same? Anyway. Well, there's one thing we know famously about Christopher Nolan is that he is okay if you have to move his release date. He is (laughs) an easygoing guy. He will not push back. (laughs) 
<laughs> the easygoing guy, if there ever was one. What te- what is Barbie? What's the studio? The, the what studios? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I will look that up. I thought it was WB. If the, and then syncope isn't uh, Oppenheimer. It is WB. It is WB. Isn't Oppenheimer WB? Didn't Nolan leave WB? I told you it's going to be these episodes. Because that's why I'm thinking. That's why I'm thinking Nolan's WB. He's just always been WB. All right. I guess. I guess that's why. Uh, So all right. So Universal is Oppenheimer. Yeah. Okay. So the old. Yeah, he's playing chicken with Barbie. He's he's, he's going up against his ex. You play chicken with Barbie and see what happens, Chris (laughs) Nolan. Your boring ass, you know, scientists making a bomb movie. I'm sure it's. Oh, you got a hundred million dollar budget? That's cute. (laughs) Barbie's going to make 200 million that weekend. And anyway, in terms of Oscars, uh, look, we got to shout out Jacqueline Durand, who might be up for her ninth. Oscars nomination and maybe her third win for Barbie. These costumes just down already. Yeah, just just just, just yeah, put it in stone. Like she's getting nominated. Uh, they, for they're Barbie almost costumes. too good because the fir- that picture that went viral of Ryan Gosling with the bleach blonde hair and the the denim get up and all. The first thing I thought of was I'd love to see that character in a horror movie. Mm. You know, like they, it's almost <laughs> too like they're so, they're so doll come to life like that it's off-putting i would say you know what Mm -hmm. i mean it's got that thing going for it i'm just i'm just glad that people are so happy though i mean it's it's really fun to watch them just gush over all these all these viral marketing uh just triumphs every single one of these kenzie makes it to release date she is she is eating (laughs) all of this up she is uh millie bobby brown again this is a smorgasbord of uh stories here but millie bobby brown and the russos have been uh, attached to a movie called the electric slate at netflix michael and netflix has certainly said they just want to do fewer movies uh that are bigger and more successful what do you think yeah that's fine i i just worry about them being in like this cycle relying on the same entities and just mixing and matching those entities expecting hits instead of getting true and of it it seems like they're purchasing a project a project giving it to one of their high-powered creatives behind the scenes and just matching somebody they're in bed with as far as in front of the camera talent and this mixing and matching which is you know if you want to keep mixing and matching the same ingredients for and expecting high revenue with different products as a result of those same ingredients that works if you're taco bell I don't know that it's going to work if you're it might be diminishing returns for streaming services all. Well, I was going to disagree with you fervently until you all made it make sense with that Taco Bell. Well, right, like, like it's you, cheese, it's meat, it's some it's kind of cream. Yeah. Yeah, and everything and just different packaging. I agree. Uh that's genius. You've never you've never <laughs> communicated like this to me before. Uh you used a very suspect <laughs> frowned upon ver- you know um <laughs> metaphor One before that with just about that millie analogy. bobby brown <laughs> but no that taco bell analogy mm-hmm. all is forgiven michael i uh, too we- could go for a cheesy gordita crunch right now i hear you oh those are the best <laughs> that's what you get when you go to taco bell <laughs> the cheesy gordita crunch and if you want to substitute one of those doritos locos taco mm-hmm. shells into mm-hmm. it you do mm-hmm. and you don't hesitate it's like an extra <laughs> 25 cents just do it get what you love uh-huh. michael 
<laughs> We've already had Madam Webb's casting. Now we got Emma Roberts uh, now cast in Sony Marvel's Madam Webb. Yeah, this is another thing. Look, I'm, I'm happy for Emma Roberts. I'm a fan of hers, always have been. Scream 4 is underrated. Uh, I, I'm excited for Madam Webb, the movie. It's, it's going to be the first Marvel female-centric villainous movie or villain movie or actually any kind of Marvel movie done by Sony. Dakota right. Johnson is the titular character. The reason I wanted this story included in this part of the episode is because God bless Rebecca Rubin of Variety <laughs> yeah. and just bless her dear heart for describing Morbius as a so-so turnout at the box office. Morbius <laughs> flopped not only once, but twice already at the box office, and everyone knows it. <laughs> flopped like Marcus Smart. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it did. Flopped like Devin Booker. Yes. <laughs> So that's that's all I have on that story. That's the only reason I wanted it included. Flopped like Ryan McQuaid. <laughs> what? As a fan of the San Ryan McQuaid in a pickup game. You know Ryan's flopping around <laughs> like a San Antonio Spur of always. Of always. shots here. The poor they, kid has done nothing yeah, poor, this poor, episode. But he just, he's, just been throwing, he's been throwing strays at you and I as a Spurs fan <laughs> for how long now? He gets one today. <laughs> Uh, Mike, <laughs> Knives Out 2 is going to have its debut at TIFF. So the biggest news here is the title. Mm. Because I was like hung up on the fact that, all right, they got to have this prestigious title, I would say, for a Knives Out mystery. And I was hoping that it had something to do with swords or knives or weapons mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of had that badass angle to it. But, Michael, the title for this sub-colon A Knives Out Mystery is Glass Onion. I'm underwhelmed by the title <laughs> Glass Onion. I'm not going to lie. I I suppose you can read it as Ryan Johnson having full creative control that he got this past everybody. <laughs> Glass Onion. Well, isn't, like, isn't Onion a big part of Benoit Blanc's explanation in the first one? Sure. You're not, you're not buying it. I'm just a little surprised. Right. I thought they would just have like a point to your title. <laughs> Knives out two push pin. I don't know. Swords drawn. No, that's maybe not. Maybe Scalpel. maybe I shouldn't be in charge of these things. <laughs> maybe don't make me the head of a movie studio. <laughs> After finishing the offer and watching how much Matthew Goods, uh, the kid stays in the picture. What's his name? Damn it. Robert Evans? Robert Evans. You have to remember the show I just watched, the main characters. I have no idea what you're talking about. No, I, yeah, make, I'm not Robert Evans is my point. Uh, make sure you write that down, dear listener. <laughs> Go talk about we're losing it. We're losing it hard. We yeah. started okay. <laughs> going downhill (laughs) trailer thoughts let's talk let's go recap a bunch of these trailers that have come out in the last week or so the first one the long-awaited much discussed here on mmo 13 lives by ron howard the story about the the soccer team trapped in the cave doing due to flooding and their rescue therein so for this movie's part i thought the trailer didn't really look like a ron howard film and looked kind of more like a paul greengrass movie which for my judgments, isn't a bad thing because I'm worried about Ron Howard at this point in his career. As you should be, as uh, we've been well documented mm. uh, to have, uh, you know, nailed down over the past few months where we've been, you know, 
looking at the Oscars of next year and 13 Lives could be a player because it's got Viggo Mortensen and Colin Farrell and Joel Edgerton. It's got a, a movie that contend as a documentary contended as a documentary feature in The Rescue as its source material. It's got the, you know, the eyes of the nation because uh, they followed the real life news story. Uh, 10 or so years ago or whenever that was so we have the subject matter that could play to play to the academy and we have a rousing story a harrowing one uh, i hope they do the story justice i i hope uh that this cast adds gravitas to the men on a mission aspect of it i think mm. they can play off some of the comedy and some of the you know, these are some strange dudes who dive in caves the, the yeah, real life people that's so for sure. it is a it is quite the character study uh, at least in the documentary sense, to actually get to know the guys who really went and rescued these kids. So it's 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 definitely something to, you know, that could be an acting showcase for these guys in, in a way as well. I'm generally not claustrophobic, but there I come across a couple TikToks of this guy going through caves with just like a headlight and on his stomach with the, the cave is just the width of, of enough of a, for a 130-pound man to like slink through on his stomach. I can't watch it. I, I don't know how... These kids and these men doing this thing, it's an amazing story. So, like yeah. I've said, it does translate well to a very gripping, edgier-seat, thrilling type of uh, cinema display. So I think it does that well for a movie. We'll I can see. relate because I was tying my drawstring and my shorts a little too tight. And it's, I couldn't – then I couldn't get the knot out. And I had to – I had a big lunch. And then I had the draw. It was too tight. I just – I really didn't feel good all day. You and know what you got to use? Total, what's that? Pushpin. <laughs> okay, there it is. Get that knot out. Uh, this is going to drop on Amazon Prime August fifth. It's going to mm. hit some theaters the weekend prior. I, I, I don't. Every red flag that should be a red flag historically, I'm treating as something good for this. Just and I think that just has to do with my disdain towards Ron Howard at this point. But you're colorblind. Right, Your flags, right? <laughs> So, like August fifth release, that's not screaming Oscar contender window, but I think that also makes me more excited for it that it's not a traditional Oscar grabby type looking movie from Ron Howard. Yeah, I mean we're gonna say not Oscar release date fodder for the next few films, mm -hmm. but then again, Coda won from an August release date last Good year. Point. But you're right. This is not an Oscar release date. This is a viewership play for Amazon for the summer. They've been working very hard to win over the dad watchers out mm. there, and this is certainly a you know something that has dad movie potential. Yeah, I could just not like Ron Howard. That could be my problem here right now. <laughs> well, I I feel like you're being hard on yourself though, mm -hmm. because if you truly if you truly want to be too hard on yourself, then you yeah. would rewatch Hillbilly Elegy, and you're not going to do that. No. So that just proves no. both our points, I think. Right. <laughs> what a... F and that guy's running for Congress. <laughs> anyway, all right. Oh God. God help us. <laughs> See how they run. That's a that's a movie. We could keep talking about movies instead of reality. Mm-hmm. That had its <laughs> first look, <laughs> first preview today. We got a... Uh, we got Scream on the early Broadway stage, right? That's what this is. We got West Murder. End, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Murder on the intersection of West 70th Street, right? Knives out by the lesser known brother, Ness Anderson, maybe? <laughs> Look, these bad jokes are all I have. I, uh, I like this trailer and I have high hopes. The release date is what it is. I don't know. It, the release date is what it is, but it still looks sneaky Oscar y to me. Maybe that's just my bias. That's my bias. I also have high hopes and and one bad joke for see how they run. Okay, uh, I'll only share the one 
it's terrible. You ready? Uh, because Tin Cucumber, a See How They Run sequel, <laughs> is coming out in three Maybe years. do make us heads of a studio then. <laughs> Maybe do. Maybe do. Uh, seriously, Sam Rockwell, though, he's... You know, he's partnered up with Saoirse Ronan, and they have some fun banter going on here. Saoirse Ronan's getting all the jokes, which is which is really funny, and she's nailing them. You have Richard Attenborough, who, of course, is the old man Hammond in Jurassic Park, Dr. Doolittle. Mm-hmm. He's, he's in The Great Escape. He's a legendary thespian, two-time Oscar winner for the producer and uh, for producing and directing Gandhi in 1983. You'll know him when you see him. He was the uh, Miracle on 34th Street Santa, but the remake when we were kids, Mike, 1993. Anyway, Richard Attenborough, I shouldn't have to explain him, but I did. He's a character. Man who needs no introduction, so here's three Man who needs no introduction. (laughs) Here are all his nicknames. The King of Sting, the Count of Monte Fisto. I just came from Philadelphia and rewatched Rocky. Michael. Does it? Does it? Isn't it ridiculous? Richard Attenborough, the King of Sting. <laughs> when I think of somebody saying the man who needs no introduction, oh. I think of Michael Buffer before he introduces Apollo Creed. That's what I just think. <laughs> Michael Montefisto, Richard Attenborough. Yeah, go ahead. Searchlight. Searchlight is probably why you think. That this movie could be Oscar-y because Searchlight knows exactly what it's doing when it comes to Oscars. And they have a late September release, September 30th, that could perhaps go either way in this instance. So if this is just a hit, great. You got another whodunit hit for, from Searchlight with, with a really charismatic cast. And if it's not just a hit, then maybe it can go have some Oscar legs because it's still kind of late fall with that late September release date. <laughs> I can't stop laughing. Uh yeah, everything you said. Sure, I, I would count of Monte Fisto. I remember some weird, <laughs> weird things when I'm overtired. Michael, we have blonde. This is yeah. uh, some ketchup. I was going to say a- as a transitional phrase. Yeah, speaking of things that are expected to get a lot of eyes on it and are could be good for streamers that could end up being Oscar plays, but I couldn't get there. I was laughing too much. We have the Blonde, teaser trailer. Yeah, the teaser trailer for Blonde. And I'm confused by this trailer because it's a classy trailer. It looks like you have this sweeping Hollywood epic in black and white with slow motion mm-hmm. and all of this classic Americana. But then we know what it is. We know this is going to be NC-17. And is it like this softcore porno about Marilyn Monroe starring mm-hmm. Anna Diarmas, Or is it rated that for other reasons like what am i what am i not getting here because this looks oscar though yeah yeah it does it, 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 50 seconds what did you just say did you no, don't, just don't worry about it okay let's <laughs> you gotta, you gotta move on <laughs> 50 seconds of black and white slow-mo with flashing photog bulbs building to a slow zoom to our first oscars mirror shot in a preview for 2022 i agree with you i didn't expect it to seem so oscary I expected some lewdness, some, I don't know where, I mean, maybe Bobby Cannavale just doesn't wear pants throughout the movie. I don't know (laughs) what the explanation is. I, does it look like Marilyn Monroe? Does it matter? Because Austin Butler didn't look like young Elvis. Should that have taught me to stop judging these things? Probably. I think this is going to be a huge hit for Netflix because I think there are a lot of perverts out there and I think we're two of them. (laughs) And... (laughs) 
We're going to click play on this in late September, aren't Especially we? September Especially not wearing pants. Yeah, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Me, darn it. Uh, I, look, I genuinely don't like this guy's movies, unfortunately, Mr. Dominic. Mm. So I'm just, like, torn on where my expectations can be because I think he's very punk rock when he gets interviewed, and I, I generate a lot of respect for him and kind of holding out. Like, hey, this is the story we wanted to tell, and we told it, and we don't care what the rating is. I don't know if Netflix cares what the rating is because it's not like, you know, they're they're having to make box office on it. They're just hoping for clicks on the service. So it's, in, in a way, they've seen like softcore porn hits in 365 days, they which they made a sequel to as fast as humanly possible, right? Mm. They had the uh, the Knock Knock movie with Anna Armas be a huge streaming hit out of the blue in, in its second life or third life. A yeah. 2015 movie there uh, became a huge hit. And, of course, I would not rewatch it, but I just um, <laughs> I know other people who did. I know these people who did that. But, look, I think I think <laughs> I think if you're going for Oscars, this is the kind of trailer you'd give. But then why would they allow a movie to remain NC-17 if they're going for Oscars? I, that's the question. I have I don't understand. Because we've Maybe seen the prudish. They think that NC-17 is going to draw more eyes to it out of curiosity. I don't know. Titan, which was not rated NC-17, was probably too much for the Oscar voter last year. Which was uh, probably, yeah, 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 I would agree with that. That was a little risque for the Oscar voter. Right. It was just, you know, nipples. Anyway. But then you have something like, um, here we go. Mm-hmm. The Netflix movie that won Best Director a couple years ago. Black Roma? and White. Roma. Roma. Where you have, you know, penis literally swinging in your face for certain parts of that movie. Thwapping. Mm-hmm. Here's your Oscar. And Best your Director. Oscar. Right, so. I don't know. But hey, speaking of penis swinging in your face, my policeman had its first look. Uh, stop sleeping with Harry Styles characters. If you sleep with a Harry Styles character, bad things will happen to you. That's I'm planting that flag. It's now and doubt existing and Harry Styles in a sexual manner on screen. I, I could get that. Uh, my one stupid take is that the Emma Corrin makeup was weird. Mm-hmm. Like, why is her makeup so weird? She's very go. beautiful and... So two equally important takes on My Policeman <laughs> and this first trailer. This film does come out October 21st. That's a much more oscar release date in the middle of fall. Uh, this director has been heavily awarded uh, for his work on the, uh, the Broadway and the West End stage, including three Tony nominations and one Tony win for Best Director. This could be a sleeper sure play for Oscars if they execute this. And the way Amazon is kind of maneuvering their release schedule, I wouldn't be shocked. I really and wouldn't. even if it's not, right? I mean, this could be the, the Ben Foster in Leave No Trace type thing where it's just a very high-quality actor getting his reps in on a serious subject matter that's relatable and tells an intriguing story, and it's just a name that that puts him higher on his resume for the next project, and Harry Styles could be that guy. And if he does really well and don't worry, darling, maybe people are thinking, okay, that's probably too popular to be an Oscars movie, which, again, is a take that you and I kind of hate, but they do seem to think these things. Then I wonder if uh, maybe this is the movie that breaks through for him. 
with Old the Oscars. White men in America are just great at running things. All right, let's uh, let's. <laughs> I have so much rage. Let's make the case. <laughs> Start with Tribeca, and we will finish with our review of the Black Phone here. Uh, Mike, you can review two of the bigger award winners. Good Girl Jane won the U.S. Narrative Competition, and Lead Actress Rain Spencer won Best Performance. So Good Girl Jane is like this focused, uh, a bit heavy-handed morality tale about a high school girl in California falling in with the wrong group of friends. And look, I really struggled with the drug content. It's kind of like Euphoria in that regard. I wouldn't know because I only watched 10 minutes of Euphoria. But (laughs) I'm also afraid of Euphoria because I think it's just teenagers going to other people's houses and laying on the ground and just cadoodling. So I'm pretty sure you're not, you're not wrong. I've confirmed I've this. watched the first season. You're not, you know, that's a, that's a major part of it. Yeah. We're so old. Uh, <laughs> two very strong performances in Good Girl Jane make it very watchable, though. Uh, Andy McDowell, Four Weddings and a Funeral and Maid. Uh, she's the mother character and certainly breakthrough Rain Spencer. I'm just very glad she took home this award. It puts her on the map. It puts her in, you know, in the conversation for the Gothams and the Indie, Spirit, in, Indie Spirits. So, yes, Good Girl Jane, uh, Rain Spencer's in her early 20s. She's got a world of talent, so this is her introduction. Interesting. What do we have as far as a, a cl- conflict or a quick summary about what's the, I mean, it's just the high, a story of a girl in high school or? So she's a, a private school kid transfers to public school cause she got kicked out of the private school and she makes, she has no friends and she makes friends with this one crowd. That's just constantly, you know, partying. Gotcha. And it's just like it, it's actually kind of a wholesome morality tale in, the, in 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 that regard. I just you know I get frustrated with a movie like this that makes the best scenes the the party scenes, right? Gotcha. Because <laughs> if you're gonna go full wholesome, then why does it look so fun? <laughs> I think I'd like to try me some of that cocaine. Uh, Mike, you also saw January, which was a Latvian film. It won the International Narrative Competition. So this is a movie about a young Latvian filmmaker, documentarian uh, from the opening scenes. And he's very young. He, he wants to go to film school. He's like a high school kid about to become college age. And, and, and in that time, I think it's 1980s Latvia, you know, there's a lot of political unrest. So he gets in trouble doing some guerrilla filmmaking you know, fil- filming an occupation of his lo- local town hall by the Russian army. Hmm. And there's just all kinds of uh, harrowing scenes that are mixed in with this kind of relationship drama between him and this girl who's the daughter of the KGB, high-level KGB guy. So, in his film school. So, wow. we have uh, a movie about movie makers and young uh formative years of of a filmmaker so i think there's there's a lot of personal uh you know storytelling involved here by and, and, it, and it's really inspired like there's there's all these talk about party scenes that that feel like you know andy warhar 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 andy wow. nar andy narwhal <laughs> warhol paintings so like we have we have a movie that is very artistic <laughs> we have quite the artistic uh, film here that I think could be, at the end of the day, the Latvian sub- submission 
And that's one of a few films I saw at Tribeca that could become their country's international film submission. Very cool. What about some standouts from the Tribeca at-home selections? Yeah, I think an Israeli film that could get selected there is Karaoke. And this is a film about a 60-something couple in the midst of like this midlife crisis where they're not communicating with each with one another. And they get a new neighbor uh, above them, a, a, a rich Miami modeling casting agent guy who's just like this fun party party goer himself. Uh, he moves into the penthouse upstairs and has nothing but sexy parties <laughs> and they get invited to some they crash some others i just i just had a lot of fun watching this this became a theme to my late watches in this festival of tribeca with karaoke and jerry and marge go large these 60 something people yeah. going buck wild and look for most of the movie it's very enjoyable and at the very end they do all this moralizing and i get a little aggravated but karaoke strong b86 would you know all these three films are probably like the b minus b rage and uh, yeah tribeca did a nice job uh s- selecting some of these and I, I would not be surprised to see karaoke get selected for uh you know international film so that's cool. You're kind of getting a, an early prelude or a preview to what might be coming in the international film uh, shortlist, at least, if not yeah. straight up nominations. And I'm a thumbs up for Pink Moon. I'm a C plus for The Visitor, but also, you know, a couple good watches there. Documentary films, uh, The Rebellious Life of Ro- Rosa Parks, Carol and Johnny, Lynch slash Oz, McEnroe, all solid watches, I would say. You know, C plus to B minus. I didn't re- rate anything a, a high B there, but uh, solid watches. The big takeaway was not a movie I expected to like, Mike. Yeah, no shit. You went on like a 20. <laughs> how, how many? What was your tweet thread about this? It was at least three or four tweets. No, I did. I just just two. I, I had. No, I was like watching more. it in the middle of it, and I was shocked at how much I was enjoying. I was just putting the movie on in the background, and by like 15 minutes in, my laptop was closed, and I was just absolutely riveted by everything Jennifer Lopez was saying. I mean, she was just giving these fiery sermons about what it means to her to, to work her ass off and, and and you know go be the best actress she could be on the set of Hustlers to uh, the fact you know that she really wanted that Oscar to the fact that she's working her ass off to be you know 50 a mother of two kids and still you know relevant in the on the music scene and she's working her tail off to you know to to position herself to be the halftime performer at the Super Bowl that year and all of the behind the scenes work you know workings between her and Shakira and the people in charge of the NFL like this is behind the scenes access at another level so from a documentary standpoint it's worth your time because they go behind the scenes at everything from you know the big I mean we remember this because we were covering TIFF and Hustlers they go behind the scenes at TIFF the Golden Globes that whole award season remember when she did that uh, Vogue fashion show and she brought back the green dress Yep. You know, you go behind the scenes there. You go behind the scenes about uh, the everything with the Super Bowl. That's the last 40 minutes where they're just, you know, one move from the next where she's recruiting all the dancers and giving them pep talks. I just thought she was what an intense person. What a great coach, mentor, director, instructor. She just impressed me so much. There's no wonder she is as successful as she is i mean i just had tears in my eyes for half this movie goosebumps down the back of my neck just inspired by what she was saying so is this all positioned as a fluff piece as a puff piece yeah i mean it is of course it is we realize that 
it's flattering to her but it's 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 also her delivering her message like she's like all right i'm gonna let you make a documentary about me but i'm gonna go i'm gonna say what i gotta say and i really appreciate the movie giving her that voice so this is this is certainly worth the the netflix subscription fee right here b plus one of the few b pluses i saw at the festival that should be too that should be a required viewing for anyone who's in the oscars game or who follows the oscars lead up because i remember yeah. vividly our us commenting on how much she was busting her butt to be everywhere to campaign for that oscar slot and to have a documentary focus on that exact time is pretty fascinating. We're not going to get many of those ever at our disposal to see all the behind-the-scenes machinations. So that's certainly something I'm going to watch. I'm pretty sure she hosted SNL in that stretch, too, where yes. she was just doing all these things to keep at the public forefront to basically campaign without campaigning for her role in Hustlers. It, it was it was an eye-opening documentary yeah. that really gave you... Uh, access unprecedented access so best films i saw at tribeca probably the bigger name ones and there's no surprise but yes jennifer lopez half halftime chosh are real smooth i rewatched it still really good i gotta get Can to confirm that. yeah check that out uh that's on apple tv plus right now i had vengeance which i saw the world premiere of that'll be coming out uh the end of july which one's that B bj novak ashton yes, yes, kutcher yes, yes, that's right. boyd holbrook and uh i think uh cameron uh, from Succession, I'm sorry, forgot her, her her name. The actress, she's incredible. Um, J.C. Cameron, I believe. Anyway, the Black Phone, the Black Phone is, was at Tribeca, and we saw that in theaters last week. Mike, all I think are uh, are strong B pluses, and I do give the Black Phone a B plus because it's so satisfying a thriller, and and it's and it's very watchable in that regard. What did you think? General thoughts? It's perplexed me to the point where I think I have to start giving out two grades for every movie I review because <laughs> I'm with you. I, I sat through this and I'm like, well, this is a B plus movie. This is at least a B movie. And then I wonder, do I have to start grading the story separate from everything else that goes on? Because that's no. what, that's what I feel like I, I do all the time. And like, is the black phone a better movie than Elvis? I know you gave Elvis a higher grade than I did. I don't know that I can say that, but it certainly had a more coherent, more coherent conflict and A to B storytelling, which is just, you know, that's a me problem, like I said during our Elvis review, but that spoke to me more. Ah, darn it. I, I raised my grade back up for Elvis, by the way, because I talked myself down in our review, but then I, I had I, the I same too. I had the same thought process. I had this with a B plus eighty seven, but I liked Elvis just right. as much, if not more. <laughs> right. You can't. That's that's what I mean. So I'm like, and and yeah, it's look. If you're a horror fan, if you're a thriller fan, if you're an Ethan Hawke fan, I, I mean, it's not nearly as scary as the hype for it has been. I don't mm -hmm. think there's only like two jump scares. I think even that. I mean, it's the ambiance is creepy, but it's not. You're not dealing with hereditary here in terms of no. fear and horror. But yeah, it's a great, quick, fun watch if you're a horror or thriller fan. So yeah, go see this in theaters. Ethan Hawke's performance might not be as Oscar-y no. as I thought it could have been. Yeah. He's he's most of the movie behind the mask, but he's doing thespian things with the body language and the mannerisms and the slouching and the eye work. And some of it's been criticized. Go read that Slash Film article for sure. Uh, I think uh, there's some good arguments in there and some good theory, and I don't want to... You know, I don't want to step on anybody's toes there, and I don't want to pretend like I'm not ignorant of the whole gay face thing. Uh, I, I, I worry about that. Uh, so, look, I, I don't know is my honest answer to that. 
But uh, he's gotten a lot of praise, Ethan Hawke, and he's gotten some criticism. But to me, the standouts in terms of the acting are the two younger actors, the two younger leads here, Mason Thames and Madeline McGraw playing Finney and Gwen. Especially Madeline McGraw, yeah. She was Uh, awesome. Yeah, I agree with that. There were, you know, you're dealing with kid actors, so it's not, unless you get a a once-in-a-lifetime type performance, you're going to have some rough parts, and I thought some of the where they had to go above and beyond with the emotion, with the crying and stuff like that. It was it the was, scenes with the father. The yeah. scenes with the father weren't great. Right. But that's yeah. You kind of forgive those exactly. a little bit because they're so extreme. Exactly. So, so very well done, very well acted, very well produced, but it's, it's a 24, right? So that's what they do. Oh, uh, it's Blumhouse. Brother. Blumhouse. Oh, is it Blumhouse? I thought yeah. it was both. Okay. I mean, even if it is just Blumhouse, that's still their bread and butter. That's what they do. It's high polished, high quality horror film film and it's a couple blumhouse films in a row that uh, that i've seen at least with vengeance and now the black phone that you know you they kind of have this horror adjacent premise but they're really not horror films so that's that's unique i would say maybe jason blum is starting to shift into another lane i suppose because Mm. you know get out was it was transcendent and there's no doubt about that and it's genre there no it wasn't God damn it. I was thinking about this reading about up on the black phone after I watched it, too. It's like everyone wants to say this transcends the horror. No, it's just a really fucking good horror movie. Yeah, but it also, all right. It's one of those statements we get mad at and then use it we, all the time. I just use it all the time. <laughs> so is that what, what, so what I do? I'm just a hypocrite. Uh, is there an Oscar lens for the black phone, Mike? Do we think Ethan Hawke could be in the conversation? Do we think something like screenplay, costumes, hair and makeup? The closest you'll get is probably, not probably, but could be like a breakthrough performance nomination for one of the kids okay. at like a, at a, uh, a BAFTA yeah. or something. Right. Yeah, because that, that's why we're doing it now and we're not doing its own episode yeah. because we didn't think there was there was an Oscar lens here. So, But, man, we, Scott Derrickson put forth a, a great yes. story, a great horror story, too. I'm thrilled he did this. I'm thrilled he uh, didn't do Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, and he went to this instead. So the Black Phone gets our watch grade. Let's jump into a few spoilers, or do we need to? What do you think? We could talk about it if you got stuff to talk about. I could I could hit on some things. Cause I had a few spoiler plot holes. So yes, yeah. warning for for spoilers for the black phone here. Click off. We'll see you next time. If uh, you don't want to hear anything, go see this in theaters. Otherwise, we're here for spoilers. That's my spiel. I don't do it as good as you. But how do these ghosts talk to him through the phone? Like they <laughs> they don't show him to be clairvoyant at all. His sister is. Is he? Did he inherit this from his mother? Like what? Like somebody? Uh, I think. Uh, one of our friends on film Twitter said something like, this is an escape room where ghosts give you all the answers to escaping. That's a good, that's a good. So I, I botched yeah. the delivery, but it was that's something like that. So you suspension of disbelief is something you can struggle with, with this movie for sure. And like, how far are you willing to go? Because, and you have another point brought up where like, what is the subtext? I don't know that there is subtext. I don't know that you get, any explanation as to how the ghosts are talking to him. And I don't know that I care. Well, that's the thing. It's a survival story and he's surviving a, a supreme evil here. Where but how much does the... that have to do with how the movie was marketed too? Because we knew from the trailers that the ghosts were going to be talking to him. Yes. If you didn't know that going in, would you be more upset that there was no explanation? I think I would. 
Probably. Yeah. Uh, but I think we're basically fixated on the villain and all mm-hmm. the horrors he can unleash on this kid and how vulnerable this kid is. So we're glad that he has friends in these ghosts. Sure. Even though we don't know why they're speaking to him. We don't. I mean, we know why they're trying to help him win. What I liked about the ghosts is that they don't know the answers either. Even in their, yeah. you know, from like beyond, that. they can't help him win to they just they're a bunch of kids trying to give him the best chance to win that he can but it really doesn't even work out that way he's got to get lucky and he certainly uh he certainly gotta you know gotta finish you gotta execute it and he does which is why i think i like the movie at more as a survivor empowerment film as a coming of age youngster victim you know, victim empowerment film, certainly. And, and, and then, a you know, a coming of age movie where this kid, you know, faces, you know, just, uh, expo- expositional. Now what's the exponential, ex- exponential level threat mm. that he deals with in act one. And we get to know him in act one. We get to root for him in act one because he's dealing with bullies in his classroom. Right. Yep. And in his school. And then he has to deal with something on the level of Ethan Hawke. My God. So this is, scary in that regard and that and in that regard it is a horror movie but it more than anything i think this is more this is a supernatural thriller so it's not scary at least on the page the premise is horror i mean it's it's terrifying you have a child abductor who plays the games with these with their victims before killing them and burying them in his basement and the black van kind of looming over yeah. the whole first act and around every corner you're afraid that he's that's the moment he's going to get abducted. Right. Now there there lies some of the big holes too. I mean you're telling me that all these kids are being inducted and you have abducted and the cops have evidence of black balloons and there's this black van sitting in the in the neighborhood that has abacadabra written on it and yeah, that doesn't raise any suspicions. There's right. a magician who runs a business <laughs> right. based on black balloons. Right. I mean, so there is silly stuff like that. And that's also why, like, those thoughts, and this is littered with plot holes, I agree. But that's what was bringing me to my thinking of, like, I think I have to separate the story from the movie. Because, like, with all these plot holes, with how much I've complained about plot holes in previous movies, especially Oscar-caliber movies, and maybe this is the difference between how I view something that's Oscar-caliber and something that's not, but I I would knock this down to, like, a B-minus if I was taking it that seriously. You know what I mean? It's a short story adapted from Stephen King's son, Joe Hill. And Joe Hill's been a bit hit and miss for me uh, in, a, in a horror novelish sort of way. I would say, you know, he did the movie Horn or did the book Horns, which mm-hmm. became a terrible movie with Daniel Radcliffe. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I think he did Lock and Key, which I've heard is a fun show on Netflix, but I, I haven't watched Never it yet. He did. Uh, did he do the, the vampire show on Netflix? Darn it. Anyway, I'm, never mind. I know Joe Hill's getting his, you know, stories adapted just like his father. I mean, they both are just making money hand over fist with Netflix and Hollywood, etc. So he's a bit hit and miss, and this is probably more hit than miss. I think they did a nice job with the, with all of the elements around the story, and then the execution of the scenes more than the the story itself. Like the story itself is pretty linear. It's pretty mm-hmm. simple. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, and it does have reliance on the performances in some scenes. I I think they did some cute stuff within this linear story that kind of opens itself up for prequels if they wanted to go that route. You don't, oh, God. you're not yeah. introduced, or you at least don't get a huge background into every victim. 
which kind of leaves itself like you could have a prequel to this that's Ugh. essentially about how that cord got placed in the wall by the kid, you know, or how the other kid who was the bully caused all that damage to the wall where he busted through to the back of the fr- meat freezer that went like you could this lends itself to prequels very easily. They're not going to be happy prequels, obviously, but it could be this thing where you're reflexively going back to build up to how we got to this movie with Ethan Hawke's ultimate demise. Ew. I don't want to see a prequel. <laughs> well, that's that was going to be my question to you. Do you think this merits one? Do you think we're going to get it? Because it's doing okay at the box office. Uh, 20-something million. Uh, it's doing great. I mean, yeah. I'm sure the the budget is not very high. And it's probably going to be in the, the black at the end of uh, this weekend, if it isn't already. 16 so. to 18 million, reportedly, was the budget. It's, it's sitting oh, okay. at 45-ish right now worldwide for a box office. So yeah, Exactly what I said then. Yeah. then I will never second-guess myself again. <laughs> after, after this weekend, it's making money. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. That's 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 the nail in the coffin. <laughs> uh, I I don't want to see his prequel because the stories are very. I mean, he kills all the other kids. Ill. Yeah. Well, you can't. Yeah. The the story would have to have some kind of twist attached to it. You can't just have it where Ethan Hawke wins. Lol. You know. Ethan Hawke wins, but the kid is gonna get his revenge. He steal the plans of the depths. Right. Death Star. The end of every <laughs> prequel is is akin to what happens in at the end of Return of the Jedi. The kid ghost is just sitting there, standing there, watching him. <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, look, I think the black phone worked uh, despite the story. I think that's a that's a rare uh, scenario for you and I. We usually, Agree. We usually Agree. turn against a film if we don't like the script. And that just proves that we are incredibly biased towards horror. And yeah, we're just hypocrites. Yeah. Just great big fat so I'm glad hypocrites. we did this. Really... <laughs> Really some introspection. Hey, by the way, yeah, this th- that song that plays at the credits of the Black Phone is so good, and it is nowhere. And I have been searching the last three days since I saw the movie. I think it's called uh, uh, Background at the... <laughs> <laughs> What's the title of the song that I can't find? Bitch. Oh, this God. title of the song. Hold on, just give me a second. Budokan, I'll look for it. Background at the Budokan. Now I have I, to look it up. I looked for it for four hours last I night. I couldn't find it. I was hoping offhand you might know it. This is my way of asking the fan base. Uh, <laughs> Backstage at the Budokan. Um, it's nowhere. I would like it to be somewhere. I would like to listen to it. How do you spell Budokan? B U D O K A N. Huh. And by the way. Good soundtrack. Good job by uh, Universal or Blumhouse or whoever getting the rights. Fox on the mm-hmm. Run opening the uh, the Pink Floyd song in there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Good it was song. cool. I mean, yeah. it, the the Stranger Things aesthetic. Yeah. Of of the but you know this is seventies not eighties. Right. Yeah. Right. I was in. Well, hey, we uh we got some positivity this episode. Good job by us. Good job by us for being positive. As soon as, as soon as I hit hang up on this call, I'm just going to go back to sobbing in a corner. <laughs> Tears of rage. I am going to listen to Backstage at the Budokan. So, I, I'm well, try. If you find it, let me if know. I, find, I will send it to you. 
<laughs> As always, what matters most to us are your thoughts about anything we covered in this episode. Have you seen The Black Phone? What did you think about the delineation between what its story has to tell and how you thought it was overall as a movie? Did you take part in any of the Tribeca at home experiences? Did you see the J-Lo doc? What are your thoughts on these trailers or the Academy stories or the first takes to Thor Love and Thunder? Anything else we have talked about in this episode or in the MMO empire at large? We want to hear from you. You can leave us your thoughts, comments, questions, and concerns on our social media. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts. If you're listening to us on either the Apple Podcasts or Spotify app, if you would be so kind to leave us a five-star review, if you appreciate what we do here, we would appreciate that greatly from you. They truly do help us out a lot. Thank you to everyone who has done that for us thus far. Mm -hmm. Michael. Getting back into the swing of things here. Tell the good people what's coming next from us, and let's have some words of wisdom. Because God knows somebody needs to have some fucking wisdom. Yes, we are. Uh, I don't have wisdom for the real, you know, perils of our situation right uh-huh. now. But I do say uh, something else that's as important. Yeah. Whatever happens in Stranger Things, we are going to be okay. <laughs> okay? We're all, we'll all be okay no matter who dies in Stranger Things. So don't. This isn't the last season, right? No, it's not the last yeah, season. That's what I thought. We, you know, justice for Barb. Mm. She's doing okay. <laughs> last I saw her, she was fine. <laughs> and Vecna is not all bad, so you never know. No, <laughs> he drinks coffee. The first uh, time Jimmy Fallon has ever intentionally made me laugh was he did a uh, a Vecna doing the first the, time. Yeah. Doing he did Vecna doing the Mentos challenge and he yeah. just had a guy in a Vecna suit <laughs> putting Mentos into a box of coke and then putting his mouth over it. And it That's was funny. Good. That is good. <laughs> Very good. Uh what's coming next? We don't know. We didn't do a production meeting yet. So I don't know what's coming next. Are we doing another Oscar Race checkpoint? Thor is coming at a- some point. Well, Thor next week, yeah. yeah. Thor: Love and Thunder, we'll be reviewing that. But uh, we'll have to figure out what's coming next. We got Nope. Are we reviewing Minions? I don't think we God, should. We but you should. probably think we should. I may. Well, let me. If I can get to it, I may twist your arm. Oh God! If, if family members of mine can stop staying at the hospital, <laughs> and I can get to the movies, <laughs> my niece is not old enough for me to take her to Minions. So I'm going to be walking into Minions by myself yeah. as an adult man. We did just do Lightyear. You realize that? Yeah, but at least I went with my mother at 9 o'clock at night. <laughs> I didn't feel, well... <laughs> Yeah, finish it. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, I felt kind of silly going for that movie too. But ah, <laughs> can we do Elvis again? <laughs> <laughs> this time we just do the impersonation yeah, the entire just, time. It's just you and I as Elvis for an entire. But we don't speak. We just oh oh Christ! All right, guys. <laughs> When reality sucks, which is like literally all the fucking... T- now, nah, all right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When reality sucks, you can come hopefully, in all, in all seriousness, be safe out there. Hope we give you a uh, reprieve and a bit of an escape every once in a while. But when reality does suck, you can come get ready for the Oscar sprint with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. Like I said, be safe. Uh, <laughs> hug your loved ones, man. We will see you all very soon. 
Sí.